Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here, and I hope all is good out there in the world. Hi everyone, Matt Guy here. Hope you're having a good evening. Will Common too. Hello. <laughs> I'm, I'm editing that out, Stu, so I wouldn't even ref- back reference this at this point. Oh, we are. <laughs> so what with it being Halloween and, and all this week, we thought we'd do some scary Cage films. But to be perfectly honest, he hasn't done a great deal in the way of horror. So we've just sort of plumped for a couple that IMDb have described as horrors. One is set at Halloween, so I guess that sort of works. And the other one is just bat crap crazy. So this week we're diving into Pay the Ghost and Mom and Dad. I think we need to get Pay the Ghost out of the way first. So let's start with that one. When is Dad coming home? He should be on his way right now. There's something outside my window. Oh, baby, you're having a nightmare, huh? Come on in. We'll keep each other safe. Nice. Let's get some ice cream. Hey, I really need you to stay close to me, and I need you to look where you're going, okay? Dad, can we pay the ghost? Pay the what? Charlie, did you see where my son went? Charlie! Charlie! You remember last time out when we were talking about Kill Chain and we managed to play through the whole film in like five minutes? <laughs> yeah, well, I kind of get the feeling Pay the Ghost might be very similar, to be perfectly honest. The film opens up on 1600s New York. Children hiding under the stairs, listening to someone beat up their mother. (laughs) Cut to 2000s New York. Like, yeah, let's just not not even look anything into it. Let's just cut straight away another 400 years down the line. There's an annoying child feeling a ghostly spirit in his room. That then disappears, and it's the same ghost we then later see at a Halloween carnival. 20 minutes have passed. (laughs) <laughs> this kid is annoying as fuck as well like i don't care that this ghost is just about to kidnap the kid i'm like well their lives might be a little bit better off without that annoying little fucker he's just he's it's like they've just found him on the street he's clearly never been to stage school of any kind mm. Mm. very one note the whole performance like borderline whispering the like um he's... The kids, the kids at the start in the 1600s were better than him. Mm, they had some better ones on set and they still chose to go with him. <laughs> Just before he gets kidnapped by the, uh, the ghost, he does say to his dad, pay the ghost. Don't you just love it when they reference the name of the film? Oh boy, I usually only get this excited when they say the title of a movie in the movie. All I'm saying is, what if this is as good as it gets? Yeah, there it is! <laughs> Didn't he, at that point, we see, how, what did you say, 20 minutes in? Is we're, 20 minutes in, we've, al- we've already 
shot our load with the villain and we've seen the villain and there's no air of mystery or suspense anymore because we know what it is and we know what it looks like. I hate it when films do that. I really do. Like, well, you got like a big monster movie or you see it in the first like five minutes. Like there's no big reveal. There's no suspense built. Really annoys me. No, I was going to say it was how it started because it wasn't, you'd think oh, it would say present day or same location or whatever. And after five minutes, I'd completely forgot about the 1600s bit mm. <laughs> until about three quarters of the way through the film. So it just yeah. went completely over my head. And I thought, well, I was actually really paying attention to this one. So if she'd said it already that it was pretty shit. So I thought, well, if I don't concentrate, I'm going to fall asleep again like what happened before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I like, I watched it twice. So I did the once through and then go back and, and make notes. And the second time I watched it, it was like watching it for the first time, seeing that 1600s beat, because I had completely blanks on it. So Nicholas Cage is a tenured professor or some such. He talks to the colleague who has found a piece of a boat, which is from the same time period as the opening of the film. This never comes back into play. <laughs> Sarah A. Kelly's is a designer of some sort. She immediately blames Cage for losing the child. I've got a question about Sarah Wayne Kelly's. Is it just me, or does she always play dislikable people? Like, I've, I've seen her in interviews, and she seems a genuinely nice person. But Prison Break, she was fucking annoying. The Walking Dead, she was fucking annoying. I just, like, the characters she picks have no agency whatsoever. Mm. I just want to tell her to fuck off, to be honest. <laughs> she just needs to... She just plays very weak-willed characters, and that doesn't seem to be the type of person she is away from the camera, and I find that so disappointing. Yeah, she's she, has, she, has a, she always has a look on her face of, um, you've just <laughs> said the wrong thing. Sorry, Stu. <laughs> Literally st- stolen from my, my mouth again. I was going to say, she's got a face of disappointment, and that's why she keeps getting cast in these things. <laughs> Cage then sees the kid in the dream. The kid is still annoying as fuck. This film has got lots of these little one or two second moments in there. Then long swathes of just padding until the next one line that comes up. I just found it painfully dull. Like At this point, we're approaching 35 minutes in. And nothing's really happened. The ball isn't rolling. We've got no... There's nothing to tell us what's happening in the story. We're still very much at the starting blocks, even though we're almost a third of the way into the film. The best part about it was the, the the actual Halloween carnival, which we didn't even mm. mention, and that, that looked like a, a kind of like a fun place to be. But that was on screen for what five minutes, if that. Well, if that, if that. Uh, we then get a time jump of a year. Cage and Callie's are now separated. Cage apartment looks like the "It's Always Sunny" meme where Charlie's got <laughs> pictures all over the wall. He's still searching for the boy. Cage gets drawn into an abandoned industrial unit after seeing a vulture fly in. There scrawled on the wall is Pay the Ghost. Cage returns to Callie's to tell her that he has discovered this this place where he, he thinks it may be linked to the kid. Just because those kids happen to say those weird random words. She laughs him off. He thinks the child is reaching out to him. Mm, would you... Would you um... Do you buy into just wandering into an abandoned warehouse? I used to do that when I was like 13. Like, what was the old Rover factory in the Chapel Ash? But that was like the last time I could walked into any kind of abandoned <laughs> warehouse on my own. 
Um, would you like no no reasonable person just does that on the back of seeing a vulture? Do they ridiculous? I mean, uh, to be fair, how how often have you seen a vulture just flying around for a laugh? <laughs> <laughs> that is a fair point. Well, yeah. no, fair I mean, point. I, well made. I don't think I've ever been in an abandoned building like that. I don't. Th- I'm trying to think about it. If so I was I was never as rebellious as you. Clearly, um, <laughs> and there's <laughs> there are any, many abandoned buildings in Ashford Park. To be fair. But I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I ever have. As part of my job, I used to be an inspector of business properties. I've been into several places like that, which you wouldn't want to go into. But luckily, there are no haunted old homeless men <laughs> hanging around inside. Because otherwise, I think I may have shit myself and ran if that was the case. Well, the Royal Hospital in Wolverhampton was abandoned for absolutely ages. Um, people used to go in there all the time. But like the old rover plant... Um, there was like loads of homeless people that lived in there and you'd go in there and like you'd see people scurrying around. It was absolutely terrifying. But at the time it was like dead exciting. But <laughs> I've never I've never gone in there in in, in search of like haunt, uh, haunted houses or um, trying to find the whereabouts of... Uh, of uh, hold on. I've just had a thing. This isn't anything to do with a rapture. This isn't anything to do with Left Behind, is it? It wasn't. It was like rapture, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't, thankfully. I think we've put that behind us for, <laughs> for now, at least. <laughs> so, Callie's gets awoken by noises downstairs. The kid scooter comes at her from down the hallway. Like, she doesn't even react to it. She just sort of pulls a face. Like, I would properly shit my kicks mm. if a scooter came out of nowhere at me. It cuts she straight away as well. It cuts just to another mm. scene. Like, they don't explore it at all. <laughs> I thought it was really bizarre. Like, it happens, and then they just go, okay, forget about it. We're on to the next thing now. It was proper weird. Especially considering it was, it was a year later, and you wouldn't think, well, the kids' stuff would just be lying around after after an entire year. It'd be. I hadn't even thought of that. Why has she got the kids' toys out still? Well, I mean, <laughs> I know you have, you have these situations are you sometimes where you get people who leave their bedrooms exactly as they are mm-hmm. but that was down that was like in the kitchen and it, it at least be tidied away mm. and the rest of it, it yeah. won't like it, she'd turn into some kind of mad hoarder I mean, it's just didn't, again, didn't it, make sense it was like the first observation of the whole film and it's what 40 minutes into it <laughs> <laughs> the next day she turns up on cage's door she now thinks that the child is also reaching out to them Cage has been looking at dates that kids went missing and figured out that kids who vanish on Halloween have a lower success rate of returning than kids who vanish at other times of the year. And then Callie's and Cage, they decide to go and visit the father of a child who vanished two years prior. And that kid also said, pay the ghost. Usually when I make notes on films, I have to pause it to write something down and then I'll unpause it and crack on. With this, I'm fucking fast-forwarding through bits because there's just nothing <laughs> happening. It's like trying to cut down on time with it. Proper drag, this shit is. Kelly's and Cage invite a medium round to connect with the child. Whilst in the room, she gets killed by an invisible spirit. Which, I mean, you'd think that would be really exciting and something special happening, and it just wasn't, was it? it mm. Like, it was proper low-key, the way they murdered somebody. It was like what happens in every episode of Supernatural about three quarters of the way through. It's like someone gets normally thrown through a table or a window or something, and then someone someone dies, and then it all ends up happily ever after, apart from that person who dies, and that's what this was like. 
So it's just a stretched out episode of a TV show. It, that that would make it, sense. It could it? quite easily have been like a, a Halloween special of something. This could like four, mm. fifty minutes long, and it would have been better. Yeah, probably. So at this point in the film, we're about sixty minutes in. I've written four hundred and eighty-eight words in my notes. <laughs> by way of contrast, the next film that we're about to discuss, by forty-five minutes, I'd written over fifteen hundred words. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's how little has happened in this movie. Yeah, People I wanted think uh, no prep for this. <laughs> I wanted more from this uh, from the medium scene because I think I mentioned it on uh, a previous podcast about um, Insidious being one of my favourite mm-hmm. horror films, and a, a huge chunk of that film is about bringing a medium in and um, and how they interact with whether like ghouls and ghosts are around. And I was expecting this to push on the film a little bit and actually we're going to have a bit of backstory we're going to have something interesting we're going to have something that isn't just um a jump on the screen for cheap cheap scare Mm. and we didn't get any of it did we really disappointed no nothing i mean when you bring a medium into a household to try and do something it evokes poltergeist Mm -hmm. which i mean like with all its faults that's still quite an exciting scene at the end when the medium comes in and all hell breaks loose and to evoke a film like that and then have a wet fart <laughs> of a, a finish it was just oh it was really it was just such a letdown yeah a letdown yeah exactly you're right cage then visits his academic friend who figures out that the symbol which sarah wayne Callies has carved into her arm is a celtic one and it is related to some witches or some sort of shite <laughs> it just so happens that there is a ritual that very night and there's going to be some Celtic witches there that they can go and discuss. So the night before this happened, Sarah Wayne Kelly's was in a trance and she carved something into her arm. Again, that scene, like when you see people who were supposed to be uh, in, in some kind of a trance and they are causing themselves bodily harm, again, you want some sort of sense of urgency and a feeling of franticness almost, and it just wasn't there at all in this mm. film. Everything was played at such a walking pace the whole way through. And I'll agree it. There was never any mention of these kind of symbols up until this point. Oh no, it's completely out of the blue. Like I mean, the only thing that we know is at the beginning those kids were Irish, if I remember correctly. I'm pretty sure they spoke in a Celtic um, lingo. And then they bring it back in here, but there's no real link throughout it. So yeah, if you, yeah, it's... I mean, if you had it like, I mean, I've just finished watching Lovecraft Country, which as a, a ten episode series is superb. Now it's finished, and mm. throughout the whole of that, there's like blood symbols and things to keep people away from the houses and stuff like that. And it's throughout the whole series, and even if they're just like these symbols had popped up, like if there was one above the door when they left to go to the fair or whatever it was. Yeah, anything. Yeah, even something like that, just a bit of of intrigue, something extra, rather than just being bland as fuck like this was. Yeah, I I think we were left to just sort of fumble in the dark. Like, we didn't really know what was going on. We were kept very much at arm's length. The dead medium then has her autopsy in the next scene, and her insides have been burnt out where they're supposed to be or they've just basically vanished 
so what? Because this never comes back <laughs> and it has absolutely no impact on the rest of the story. At the Celtic ceremony, Cage and Callies get told that the crone is what takes the children on the last night of Sarwin. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I think, yeah, Sarwin, which I think is the pagan or the, the Celtic version of Halloween. Doesn't really get dived into, so you're sort of left to figure that out for yourself. It was funny because the, the like the uh, the woman is explaining it. She's like, "I'm just a school teacher." Then immediately gets really into it and knows every single thing there is to know <laughs> about the thing that apparently she doesn't know much about. Yeah, that that was a bit um, <clears throat> it's a bit jarring, wasn't it? Like you're supposed to think that these these people are just hobbyists and you shouldn't really be here. And then all of a sudden, she sits them down and tells them to get their uh, their math books out and goes into a full lesson. We do get this exposition dump, so then we find out that the kids from the 1600s at the start of the film, they were killed as their mother watched on. The mother vowed to return and replace her three children. The academic friend who told Cage about the, the Celtic links, she now gets killed. She gets thrown out of the top window of the, the school that she's in. I like that bit. Oh. I thought that, that, that was quite cool. I know it was unexpected. It, it was. But why? <laughs> like, I mean, what role does that play? And I know we'll come back to it because of the mid-credit scene. But like, why did they kill her? It had no bearing on the story. She had only killed one other person who was trying to find her. The, the ghost. This is mm. like, why didn't she just kill Callie's and Cage? Why go after two unrelated people? <laughs> Yeah, really shitty. And like, it was a bit part character. She was just friends. And we don't even see Cage getting told about the, the killing. So there was no payoff. There was nothing to particularly care about. It's quite sad, really, that you drop this character in there. You kill her off. And okay, fine. On to the next. At this point, Cage then goes back to the industrial unit where he saw the message from the, the start. This doubles up as a gateway to meet the ghost mother from the 1600s. <laughs> we need to uh, we need to mention the blind, dreadlocked man, the poor the poor keyholder, if you will, who all I could get in my head was the um, the raster in Bloody Predator Two. It just reminded, like, it just reminded yes. me of him. That's all I could think yes. about. Like I thought he was going to like chuck those bones onto an old upturned oil room to tell him like about the ghost and the crone that's all i could think about i was trying to place it i could picture it in something but i couldn't quite remember what it was that's exactly it so he's gone through this portal now and he's now in the household it all went a little bit national treasure here it's like there's hidden doors and basements with secrets and hundreds and hundreds of children just hiding behind it cage grabs his kid and then Two others who were abducted on the same time, they follow the kid out. Like, fuck the rest of them, eh? Like, yeah, but, they can all rot for well, all you Because that was, as soon as that happened, I thought, well, what about... Is it just that you have to get them in a two-year spell? Is this what the rules are? <laughs> that you... Because, I mean, the, the whole the bridge thing as well. We'll go, go to in a minute. <laughs> it's, it was just weird. Like, there was... It's a bit like when you you expect um, remember trapdoor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I expected—just eyes everywhere. <laughs> I thought that, that's what it reminded me of. 
that would have been so much better. Yeah, it would. That's what I mean. It would have been so much. But even a shitty cartoon from the eighties called Trapdoor would have been better than what this was, which was just <laughs> a load of, loads of kids with some some foam or some <laughs> dry ice over them. It just looked really shit. Again. <laughs> yeah, but they could have done some really scary shit once they got into the oh. Alternate universe? I don't know what you'd call it. It wasn't a dream state as such, but... The beyond, something like that. Yeah, they they, they replayed bits of, like, when she was killed and and the the children were burnt at the stake. And that was it. They just sort of showed it from an arm's length. Just sort of a factual retelling of events, not that they turned and looked at him and he shit himself and they chased him. or You know, just... Anything, just just put a little bit of jeopardy in there. And at no point did I ever think Nick Cage was in any jeopardy. No. He was perfectly fine. And even once he grabbed the kids and was leaving and came face to face with the crone. So, like, just run through her, you'd be fine. <laughs> and that, that's basically all he fucking did. <laughs> it, it wasn't, it, it needed to be a lot scarier. And even if they're going for a 15 rated, they could have done a lot more than what they did. Mm. I never even thought to check what rated it was. It was rating shit. That's what that's what it should be. <laughs> but I think it was a fish. It was either a twelve A or a fifteen, if I remember correctly. It, 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 it feels very much like a twelve A for how. But again, why 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 do you even bother if if that? I'm gonna have to check it out anyway. I mean, if that was the case, why even bother with things like this? No, he said it was a fifteen. It was a fifteen that felt like a twelve A, which felt like it couldn't do certain things, which then just devalues the whole project. But I think there was a. There was a kernel of a decent story in there, but they just stretched it out and watered it down to the point that it was just non-existent. Uh, so then Cage has a scuffle with the witch. I think that's the best way to describe it, because it wasn't a fight. A slight disagreement. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Just crosswords. And then he escapes. Cage and Callie's and the annoying kid get reunited. We then get this mid-credit scene where Cage's academic friend who was pushed from the window. She's dead and the vultures are feeding on her insides. And then her eyes open. Like, what does this mean? It has, at no point in this film, have we seen this witch possessing the dead. You know, like, using them to kidnap kids or or anything. It, it seemed completely out of context and it made no sense. Mm. I can't tie in my head why that scene was in there other than for a jump scare that wasn't particularly scary. Yeah, I think there was a lot of, a lot of this film was... Uh, we we would criticise a film really badly if, if it handheld you through everything. I think this just... This film just wants you to just accept what's going on without you having to think about it, but not in a good way, not in a, like, this is just going to be, you know, don't think too much about it, just enjoy it. It just takes takes us for granted that we're just going to accept that we don't need answers for any of the questions that are going on. You know, I wanted mm. to know backstory. I wanted to know why, you know, more about the villain. I wanted to know more about the plot. And the film is quite happy, laziness, really, just to allow us to watch and not explain. Quite frustrating, really. I mean... Was it because she had kids out of wedlock that she had to be burned at the stake? Is that what it was? What, what they were saying? I believe so, but they never really explained it. It's stuff that you're having to tie together in your own mind. Yeah, because if they'd done a lot, of, like Matt said, if they'd done a lot more about the 1600 stuff, which would have been infinitely better, then you could have done a lot more with the, the lore of it, and then you could have the 
possession thing would have made more sense. You could have had the symbols and made it a hell of a lot more weird and freaky, but it was... So you, know, you know what the issue is, Stu? This is, this is exactly the same problem that I've got with Tenet. No, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. I'm not going to wind you up like that. It's, uh, you know, it doesn't, you don't need to think about it. You don't have to, you don't have to understand it. You've just got to go with it. So, you know, I think Play the Ghost directly influenced Tenet, I feel. <laughs> the thing is, if you're going to do a film that doesn't make sense and you just want people to just follow along, you need to do something like Tenet where it is big, it is expansive, it's a thrill ride. What you can't do is have a ponderous, slow, water-treading film like Pay the Ghost. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. Completely agree. I mean, you wouldn't even pay the ghost, would you? You'd just stream it illegally. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Luckily, this was on Amazon Prime. So, if you've enjoyed our uh, talk-through of <laughs> Knock Yourself Out. <laughs> uh, so, IMDb, this has got a 5.2, which I think is quite generous. The Metacritic score is a 23. Rotten Tomatoes fan score is 25%, and the critic score is 10%. Ooh. Which, I mean, that, even that feels a little bit generous, to be honest, 10%. And I don't normally check Amazon, but because I was watching this on Amazon Prime, I had a look at a few of the what the non-critics had to say and found a few five-star reviews <laughs> that I'd quite like to read to you, gents. <laughs> <clears throat> so Mike Gordon said... Excellent story, different genre for nice cage, not Nick Cage, nice cage. (laughs) But he didn't disappoint, just don't let go of your children's hand, not even for a second ever. Sheila Davies, one of the best. Really enjoyed this one of Nicolas Cage, kept you thinking, kept you thinking of what? Like, it wasn't a mystery. (laughs) Like, you know, we were kept in the loop the whole fucking way through. I, I don't know what that review was about. But my favourite one, and I'm going to read it exactly like it was written. Ooh, great film. Pay the Ghost. I really enjoyed this film. Mr. Cage plays real great roles these days. This not did not disappoint me. Need to watch. Like, there's no fucking full stops or anything in any of this. Uh, Did not disappoint me. Need to watch if you don't get many ghosty films now, which is a shame. To have a new stories and themes and smart films, not always about the old boring slashers. Prefer acting and great stories. And great actor Ho can act not half the attempt, low budget. <laughs> Fucking insane, this is. <laughs> five, five stars. Five stars. I have literally no idea what she's saying. It's just words. I mean, this is, when you look on Amazon and there's people who like, Give HDMI leads a one star on there. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's as mental as this this creature who's who's typed this up. Yeah, check it out. It's a Geraldine Eva Styles. Check out her review on there. Honestly, see if you can make head or tail of it because I'm fucked with it. So the budget, I, I couldn't actually find it anywhere. <laughs> I scoured everywhere. I'm gonna guess this was probably somewhere between eight and twelve million. Because there is a little bit of CGI and stuff in there. Obviously, you've got two fairly big-name actors. So I I thought probably no more than 12, but no less than eight. Can you imagine being, like, the director, and you said, that's a wrap, and you're done, and then you sit back in your chair, you go home, and you think, fuck, I've just spent 12 million on that. 
<laughs> Can you just imagine like the guilt, like the shame and the guilt? Oh, well, I'd love to know if actors ever do that. So once the film has been cut and then they get to see it, they ever just think, oh, I really regret that. I should give my money back. Because I've been nothing <laughs> in this film. The worldwide box office was $2.9 million. And it picked up a further $1.2 million on DVD. So, and how much did, I mean, it was so relevant what we watched a couple of weeks ago. The, Kill um, Chain. Kill Left Chain. or Kill Chain. Kill Chain, well, Kill Chain got, what was it, 16 grand or something silly like that that it made. No, uh, yeah, Kill Chain got, I think it was $13,000, just under $13,000. And this bag of one gets that much, that much money back. Yeah, that was it. Twelve thousand seven hundred and eighty-seven dollars on kill chain. I mean, yeah, and, and this made almost five million. I mean, kill chain for all its flaws and the fact that it was very good was was more enjoyable than this. Oh, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. But I, I don't know if maybe. I mean, we, we're talking a difference of four years. So, Pay the Ghost was 2015. A lot has changed in those four years in regards to streaming and that. So, we do get a lot of films that go direct to streaming services. Mm. Yeah, I so, that may play a part in it. But either way, the fact this made any money is <laughs> travesty. <laughs> so, the good, the bad and the crazy. Matt, do you want to start us off? Um, <laughs> the good, um, you know, its he's, aim he's, is to... He's looking like that he's, he's sat on a nail. <laughs> so the good, um, you know, its aim was to make people jump and make people scared. And for those brief moments, I suppose I did, you know, when he had the flash of something scary on the screen, um, it did make me jump. And I don't do fantastically well with scary films anyway. I'm a bit of a a bit of a coward when it comes to these kind of things. So it's, if it's aim is to scare, it had the occasional flutter of making me jump. So I suppose that's a good thing. The bad thing we, we've discussed really not making you want to care by not giving you, feeding you any information about the actual film, uh, about the characters and about why this thing exists and anything more than just enough to give you the plot to let you carry on with the film. Um, and the crazy, all I could think about was the greater good scene in um, Hot Fuzz with the um, <laughs> with the with the Celtic like group that were doing the ceremony, and all I expected was um, was Frost to come out with a ketchup being stabbed in the eye kind of thing. Um, wasn't a fantastic watch really, and I struggled to really make notes on it, much like you, Andy. To be fair, in that nothing really inspired me about this film at all. Like not even in the poke fun of it way. It was very, very flat and vanilla. Completely fair. <laughs> no argument with anything you said. <laughs> Stu, yeah. what have you got to say? I mean, there's, there's good ideas there, maybe, <laughs> but it's just really not done very well at all. Is it? I mean, there's time. There's like we said, there's, it's so easy to criticise it because it's just so boring and it's just not very well made. I think that's, mm. I think that's the, the more disappointing part about it because there is a kind of, especially with the whole losing a kid thing is pretty terrifying, especially in crowds and that kind of thing. If they'd played more on that, but he didn't. I mean, he looked around and at the burger van or ice cream van or whatever he was buying, and 
he looked around and you think, no, you'd be absolutely shitting yourself at this point. And even even then, he he, he was like, oh, where's he gone? And it, it, <laughs> <laughs> it was almost like you. It was like someone off a of soap. And you think, well, you could have if you they concentrating more on that, more on the the Celtic stuff, and more on the weird, the supernatural stuff, rather than just the kid being missing. Mm. And more about the symbolic things and things that are actually scary rather than just nonsense like we ended up with. And I think I think the good probably is that it wasn't very long as well. <laughs> but and they're crazy. There is there is no crazy because nothing really happened. So you can't really even like Matt said, you can't poke fun yeah. of it because it was just so boring. Absolutely. For me, I've honestly got nothing good to say about this film. I can't even say it was good because it was only 90 minutes because I felt the runtime hampered it. I felt it was both, it both dragged and was too fast. So, I mean, you can sum this film up in the the kid was taken, they found out it was ghosts, he went through a portal to get the kid back, he got the kid back. <laughs> Credits roll. That That's literally all that happened. And they somehow stretched it out to 90 minutes. If they had more time to expand and tell a story, that might have been better. Mm-hmm. Or they could have just edited the fuck down to like 72 minutes and just get through it. It was neither one thing or the other. So I, I can't even say that was good. It was, yeah, it was slow. It was ponderous to the point of boredom. <laughs> Sarah Wayne Callies was annoying as ever. The kid was an annoying little fuck. I've literally got nothing positive to say. It was just all crap. As for the crazy, it's not what I found crazy about it. It's what made me crazy. That <laughs> mid-credit scene. That mid-credit scene, it made absolutely no sense. It had no bearing on anything that had happened before. So it didn't explain anything. It didn't set up a sequel. It just did nothing. I mean... For shit. That, that demon thing, I mean... It... How would that would have set up a sequel? I mean, you, you're talking about the difference between Ghost Rider Two and the original. How it was completely different in tone and what absolutely everything about it. And you couldn't have oh yeah another demon taking another kid on Halloween. It would have made no sense whatsoever. No, so Home Alone Four. Why? <laughs> so it's yeah, you're right. It made no sense at all. It's pointless. Mm. So I've got to ask. I think we've sort of answered it several times over. Did you enjoy this film? No, not really. <laughs> it was, it was more a case of yeah, we have to. It was another one of these. If we didn't have to do it for this, then there's no way on earth I would have even thought about watching it. Mm, absolutely, Matt. Did you enjoy it? No. The, the the measure of like whether I enjoy a film is in how many parts I watch it in, and I must have watched this in about six or seven parts. <laughs> as in, watch twenty minutes, <laughs> find someone else to do. Took it in, put my laptop in, What did it while I did the washing up. 15 minutes later, go do something else. If I'm hooked by a film, I'm watching it from start to finish. If I've, if I've paused it six or seven times, I've really not enjoyed it. And that's exactly what I did with this. It's a bad sign. Yeah. I, it's the same answer for me. It's too slow. And it wasn't slow in a moody, interesting, slow burn sort of a way. It was just slow. Nothing much really happened. Well, the fact that it was just under 90 minutes, you could have told me this was five hours long and I'd leave you. Because <laughs> it did drag, like, just shit. Uh, so, obviously, the next question we always ask, is Nick Cage good or bad in this film? 
for me, it felt very similar to Left Behind. It felt like it was a contractual obligation movie. Like, they've got him over a barrel. He has to do this movie. And so he's just put the least effort in he can possibly muster. He slept, walked through this movie. And I think, to be perfectly honest, if he didn't even turn up, it would have made zero <laughs> Sorry, Zero difference. Because that's the kind of film it was. Like, a lot of the time we go with the, uh, it was 49 to, to 51%, but nah, not, not in this case. It's just a bad performance. Just one tone. Dyer. Oh, yeah, found, absolutely found it in. No no emotion, no nothing whatsoever. <laughs> no crazy cage, even though there's, when you think, oh, he could be possessed, which we'll get on to in a bit. Um, when you <laughs> think, yeah, this will be, this has got the potential, but no, it was just dire. So, I mean, if this was, if you look at it, if, let's put it this way, if it, this was his first performance, he'd never get another job, would he? No, when, absolutely. Then you look at his first actual first performance in Valley Girl, and uh, <laughs> there's the mention. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was found in a couple of well, by the sense of it, a couple of million quid in the bank. <laughs> Happy days. That's all it was. Matt. Yeah, much like you guys, it's that five album deal, and the band's had enough of their label. And they're just put out an album of shite just to get off their uh, off their record <laughs> deal. Basically, yeah, it's um. I don't think it was for want of uh, like laziness or anything on his part, but why would you want to sink your teeth into a project like this? If you must have read the script and gone, this is fucking shite, but he's, you know, he, he wants that payday. Don't blame him, to be fair. So, no, unfortunately not. Uh, not a, If we're looking at this as the sole Nick Cage film he's ever done, as we try to answer this question, then a no, unfortunately. Well, the good news is, lads, we won't have to watch that pile of shit ever again. <laughs> and the even better news is, we now get to talk about mom and dad. Christ, why do you sneak up on me like that? You bought a pool table. Yeah, so? You don't even like pool. Can I ask how much this cost? Don't worry about it. I kind of have to worry about it. I mean, Christmas is coming up. Do you really think this is the right time to start building a man cave in the basement? Not a man cave, Kendall. Jesus. I just thought, you know, like, like, like a family room. The whole house is a family room. Okay, you see, I got a problem with that one right there because I bust my ass six days a week trying to pay this place down, and it's like a fucking obstacle course trying to get out the fucking front door. I mean, one of these days, I'm going to trip over one of Josh's toys and take a nosedive straight to the emergency room. What are you saying? I'm saying that maybe we need to have boundaries. I'm saying that maybe there needs to be a fucking grown-up zone and a fucking kid zone! Brent, honey, you think I want to be the one to piss all over your family room? Okay, do you think I want to be the one who has to build a fucking family room? Perfect. Okay, well, let me see if I can take care of this for you, sweetheart. Yeah, I think I have something. Just the right thing. This film begins with a quite disturbing image of a lady walking away from her car, having left it on a train track with her infant child strapped into its car seat as a train fast approaches. Then the film's credits roll. What a fucking wild start to a film that is. Mm. The credit rolling thing was a bit odd. It, it felt a bit like with Kill Chain when we had that 
that looked like it was the beginning of a TV show to a Dusty Springfield soundtrack. But I've got to say, I don't know about you two, but do you know the film Don't Look Now? Yeah. I was immediately taken to that. I don't know what it was. I just felt very much transported to that, which is obviously a film about... Oh, what can I say that's not going to spoil you it? You can't um, say anything about it. Don't say a thing. Oh, fuck. All, all I'll say is watch Don't Look Now. It's an absolute masterpiece. But yeah, it, it immediately transported me to that. But I really liked that. I thought it was an excellent opening to this film. Yeah, I, I had on my notes, like, <laughs> train tracks, this is the film for me. <laughs> like, the, the, like, the tone the tone from, from second one was like, this is going to be a wild ride. Like, you know, in the same way that Kick-Ass, the way that Kick-Ass starts, you just know straight away the tone of the film is going to be something you're going to enjoy and enjoy for all the wrong reasons, um, you know, because of how, like, violence and gore and, and black comedy... Yeah, really, really enjoyed the start of this. The style was set out from the very start. Mm-hmm. That was the best thing about it. I mean, and this was one of the ones where I didn't watch late at night. And I think it was about half eight when I put this one on. And I thought, fuck yes. And paused it and went to get the beers in. Because this was, and it was absolutely well worthy. Considering you started so early, like you could have put it on and watched it again straight away yeah, as yeah. it finished as well. That would have been brilliant. We then get to see cute teen Carly. She's trying to set up a date with her boyfriend, Damon. We immediately find out she's a bad girl when she lyingly asks her mom if she can go to the movies that night with her friend, Riley. Cage is on the ball and he knows this is a lie. And besides, their grandparents are coming round tonight. <laughs> we get a subtle hint that they're racist in this point as well. So Cage doesn't like Damon. And Carly says, yeah, I know why. And then Kendall, the mom, um, she also apologises to the Vietnamese uh, about a Vietnamese racial slur in front of their Chinese housemaid. <laughs> yeah. So, like, we, we, I think we're sort of meant to think that these are, are people who are trying to be do-gooders, but are probably dicks. Like proper mm. like Middle America kind of thing. Yeah. 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 I think that was the setup for it, but I, it doesn't make you warm to them, but it, I think it does flesh out their characters straight off the bat. I think it's quite a good way of showing who they are I mean, without a... being overt about yeah. it. When how they were talking around that table, and I thought, oh, no one, I hate families like this. <laughs> it's so fake. And you think, well, you're all going to kill each other eventually. Just, <laughs> just because of it, oh, the, oh, all the like the, the in-jokes and stuff of it, and like kind of the, the things that Cage was doing to his son as well, like they kind of like deliberately, the thing, yeah, yeah. Like w- deliberately winded him up. So, what are you doing? I thought the uh, the actress who played um, the cleaner slash compare, might maybe you might call it, was excellent. Like really, really, like as a small cameo in this film, it was brilliant. And when like I burst out laughing when she she goes, Chinese, not Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> it just proper made me laugh and i just like i was already after about five minutes i just i was invested in this film and like it, i knew it would take a lot for me not to enjoy it but but it, it didn't even offer me that um really really fun and i like there, there was a really good scene when um like Stuart mentioned cage is um he's tickling his son and then he cuts to like a scene where he like dead um turns like he throws a ball at his head or something the kid does and he turns around and he yeah. stares at him and you think oh what the fuck's going on here now, this is this is the thing, Stu. I've gone against your rules here, and I've watched a trailer first, so I know that the route it goes down. Um, so I already knew where it was go- kind of going. I wish I hadn't, because if I'd have seen 
Nick Cage look at the way he sunned the way he did, I would have thought, oh, fuck, is he going to like just snap and kill him or something? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was really well done. Like the, the, the like the short but short really intense bursts um, of kind of drama, and then like it's edited, it would cut away to like Nick Cage chomping a girl's tit in a car or going like <laughs> like it just. <laughs> It was just a, it was just like a like a, a mile a minute film. Loved it. We then get a little bit of Crazy Cage early doors here. So he's mocking the news reports about the woman who left her kid on the train. He's being loud. He's being obnoxious. And it's like this is the fucking Cage I want to see. Not that drivel from Pay the Ghost. This is my Nicholas Cage. Kendall is trying to keep in touch with her daughter as she drives her to school. She's trying to be all hip and down with a youth. She opens up to Carly during the school ride. Carly's an absolute bitch to her mum. She's stolen money from her and then tells her, it's not my fault, you have no life. And she's a <laughs> fucking horrid child. <laughs> we then get a little bit more racism from Ca- Crazy Cage. His housekeeper says to him that he, she will leave some fruit, fruit, food in the fridge. And then he mutters under his breath, fuck you, for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> So we've seen that the younger brother's a dick, the daughter's a bitch, the mum's a wannabe woke twat, and Cage is a racist. Like, it should be hard to like anybody in this film. <laughs> we then get that flashback to a younger man getting titty slapped while he's doing donuts in his car. And another flashback of a kid trying to save a dying animal and hiding it in Cage's car, only for the creature to die and leave a stench. I really like these flashbacks mm-hmm. that happen throughout this film. I think they're a wonderful little interstitial in the main story that just tells us how we got here. Because we don't get explanations on how we, what happens. We don't get explanations on that. But we get to find out why they would want to kill these little fuckers. And it's how like that one as well where he's doing the donuts and then it, it cuts, it fast cuts back to him just in a, in a full grey suit getting into his people carrier thinking, oh, this is what my life's become. And it, it works really well. It does. It, it's very, very well made. And borderline 80s puffy nipple as well. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> we get awoken from this flashback to the sound of a hammer and the housemaid's daughter scream. We get a quick cut to Kendall, who is partaking in some aerobics. Just to be so on the fucking nose, Kendall has a discussion about fighting back the hands of time. And then we get cut to the classroom where you see the teacher talking about planned obsolescence. They really are trying to make sure you don't miss the message in this film, aren't they? Whilst the school, something happens. We don't really know what, we just know that something has changed out in the, the, the world. The police arrive and they're holding back parents at the school gates. They're obsessively trying to get to their children. And then we find out why, when one of the children manages to break through the gates and gets to his mum. And holy fuck. She stabs the little fucker to death with her keys. <laughs> I did have one small criticism at this point. Um, the you know the adults are crazy enough to kill their kids, but they are patient enough to wait behind a fence, and then all <laughs> of a sudden, and all of a sudden, then jump it at, like once one person has it, all hell breaks loose, which I thought was just a little a little strange. But um, when the when all the violence does uh, occur and break loose, bloody hell, it's glorious. It, I, I love that scene. So you've got the kids who are running away from their parents when they realise that they're trying to kill them. 
and they're just like sprinting across this football field. The first one gets caught with a bin bag over her head. <laughs> the next one gets stabbed with sporting equipment. Chains and fists are flying. One father does this American football style tackle, taking his tiny fucking son down. <laughs> oh, it's and and you, you when you find out that the director is the same one who did Crank. Oh, you, you absolutely fucking see the similarities in these films. These just mile a minute mental mayhem, and oh, it's so fucking good. I absolutely love it. I mean. It... We'll put the the usual point of I did not know what the premise of the film was, <laughs> and so when the kid went, I thought, well, is it a bomb scare? Is it something to do with the terrorists? Is that what this is about? And then, <laughs> obviously, I'm one of the literally the only person watching is listening to this who's this is applies to. But I, I laughed when the kid got keyed, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, of course. I thought, well, hmm. What could it be? And then obviously we get to the static in a minute. But yeah, it was that makes a lot of sense now. What you said about Crank. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about Jason Statham eventually on this podcast. But then film, then two films are incredible. And yeah, this absolutely. They're, they are up there as some of my favourite mental. And this, just, as I said, mayhem movies. They're wonderful. When this, I hope that this is in the same universe now. <laughs> That'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? They should just keep that universe going and just keep building out. It's great. But it appears that the parents only want to kill their own offspring. They're not interested in anybody else. As a group of parents run past Carly, just completely ignoring her. We then get to see Damon, who's returned home, where his father tries to kill him. But his father then falls on a broken bottle, killing himself. Even in his death throes, he's still trying to kill Damon. They keep showing this static on the TV, as you just mentioned, Stu. And the, we have these occasional edits between different scenes where they've got this static. Like it's it's intimating, but it isn't outright telling us that this is what is, that this filicide disease is. And I, I really appreciate the fact that they're not just fucking spoon feeding it. Yeah, hmm. yeah. and you can see you, you get it in everywhere. Everywhere there's a screen as well. It's not like where. The telly's gone off at midnight in the nineties, and this is what's on telly now. <laughs> it's a, it's a case of the broadcast and the screens are being taken over by this signal. But it's it's is it? Do we see it on phones? I can't remember. I know you definitely see it on the monitor in the hospital, and you see it on all tellies and stuff. I think it was really clever, and for something that's as ridiculous as this, you don't need an explanation; just something vague. It works really well. Yeah, absolutely. You, you don't need to, in a film like this. It, it is basically a B movie. You don't need to give us all the answers. You just need to let us figure it out ourselves. In this case, and I think it worked perfectly. We now get to see Kendall's flashback. Flash flashback. <laughs> <laughs> she's flashing back to a very recent time where she's trying to get back into work after fifteen years out of the game. You know, bringing her children up. She gets turned down because she's been told that she's been out of the game too long. So with both parents' flashbacks, we get shown their regrets. Cage is longing for the titties in the face. <laughs> Cage is, uh, sorry, Kendall is regretting, you know, giving up her life to raise her children who are, one's an annoying little shitbag and the other one's an ungrateful bitch. <laughs> so we, we get to see two parents who think, 
we, we intimate that, you know, do they regret having these children? Kendall gets awoken from her flashback when she gets a call to go to the hospital as her sister is giving birth. Whilst we're there, we are treated to a Grant Morrison cameo. I am so fucking delighted. Grant Morrison is one of the greatest comic book writers who has ever lived. So when he pops up, I mean, I've got a fucking tattoo from one of his books on me. <laughs> I adore that man. So, yeah. But also, Grant Morrison, he wrote a book called Happy. And the writer-director of that series also did this. That's how he got into it. So, Happy, well worth checking out. It's available on Netflix. When Kendall's sister gives birth, we get some of the most beautiful sound editing I have ever seen. Whilst hugging the baby, the TV turns to static and the rock set song, It Must Have Been Love. (laughs) And the attitude of this new mother turns from loving to loathing and just trying to crush this baby. Just the juxtaposition of this song, this, this happy pretty song compared stood next to this mother trying to kill her kid when that drum beat kicks in and those soft sweet lyrics and the the room just turns to murder just fucking beautiful that's one of my favorite scenes i have seen in any nick cage film that we have done to this day it's 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 the complete opposite of when the um somewhere over the rainbows just shooting to um face off for no reason yeah yeah that's it yeah it's um it because of you know what's going on now in the film, you, you know, at some point during that scene, your brain just clicks and goes, oh, no. Oh, yeah. no, <laughs> what's about to happen here? And then, like, the payoff from it, even though it's, like, maybe, like, a minute later, it, it, it's just so good because you know it's about to happen. So it's almost like wanting to hide behind your pillow because you don't want to see it because you know she's about to kill her baby. And because it's a baby, it makes it that much more serious. It's not like a little wanker that, you know, deserves to die <laughs> because they're a little shit. You know, this is just a baby, hasn't done anything. Um, and it was just really, really, the tension was built really well in this scene. Um, oh. To the point where, like, when the unbiblical cord got cut, it was just like, I was like, oh, fuck that. Right. So they've at least give it some bloodlust in this scene. Um, so like they've got away with it, and then then I thought, oh no! Then when she crawled, like she comes over to her in the corner, I thought, oh, like it had it had me proper going. Yeah, I did think, are they going to go this far? Are they going to kill a baby? We then cut to Cage. He's falling asleep at work, seemingly dreaming about the motorboat donut car trip again. He looks at the picture of his kids, and then just lets out a scream. <laughs> <laughs> he got porn on his computer as well. Yeah, like he's just basically given up on life. I, think, <laughs> I don't understand how Kendall hasn't turned yet. She saw mm. the same static on the TV screen that her sister did, but she's not yet got the desperation to kill. I did find that a little bit weird. That was the only criticism I've had up until this point. I couldn't quite figure out how they, um, or why they got around that one. Maybe it's just one of them things that it was... I don't know. It, it was showing that, yeah, even though she's everyone's got this willingness to kill the kids, she's like fighting it because she yeah, deep down she loves them or something, something like that. Maybe. I mean, could be. Or could be, yeah. or it doesn't kick in and, until you actually physically see them or you see a picture of them, something like that. Because he he went back after he looked at the picture of his kids. Yeah, could be. So maybe that's what it is. Yeah, maybe I'll watch this again after the podcast and uh, find out. 
in the other running storyline, Carly meets up with Damon. They go back to her house and they try to get her brother. Whilst their cage returns home, the brother is being an annoying little shit. She's trying to rescue him and he's pissing about trying to get his backpack and crying for his dad. I wouldn't have been too disappointed at this point if they'd have killed off the honest. <laughs> when Cage sees Damon in the household, he is not happy. He's a couple of years older than Cage's daughter, so Cage assumes that he's only after her for sex. Summed up when he says, I get what's happening. Believe it or not, I used to be young too. I think about how things were in my day, but now, the world you kids live in, the things you see on the internet, and I love this bit. Mouth to dildo, dildo to ass, ass to ass, anal beads. <laughs> things I only saw in magazines. <laughs> and there's the crux of the, the argument here. He wants to be young and seeing his annoying fucking kids. He just realises that he's lost the best years of his life. Cage then smashes Damon's head into the floor, seemingly killing him dead. The annoying kid then runs up to his dad. Like, what the fuck are you doing, you idiot? Cage goes apeshit and tries to kill him. They manage to run and get to the basement before he can get to them. We get another flashback to three weeks previously. Cage is building a pool table and he gets caught by Kendall. They argue because he didn't tell her. He's unhappy that he doesn't have his own space and bemoans having kids fucking everywhere else <laughs> in his life. Kendall continues to moan. So he takes a sledgehammer to the pool table. This rant that we get from Cage here, like, I'll try and splice it in. This rant is some of the best acting that I've seen Nick Cage do in any of the films. I've just got it here. In the four or five months we've been in this, this is the best scene out of every single week. Not a big fan of machine parts sales either. Trying to hit quarters down there, be a big man. Not exactly what I had in mind as a young dude, you know. Bright future, everything in the world to look forward to. I mean, I was gonna grab the world by the balls and squeeze, boy! God damn it, I remember that kid I used to be like, it was four fucking minutes ago. My feet barely touched the ground back then. My kill ratio was nine out of 10, it was 100% sex. And that guy, in a million years, could never have pictured this tired motherfucker he turned out to be. Flat on his ass, fat, bald, cottage cheese, fucking ass, blue bonnet, butter, waistline with hair coming out of my ears, my nose. And my salary went from $145,000 to $45,000. Yeah, building a fucking man cave, that's right. You're right! I mean, does any of this make any sense to you at all? Of course it does. Yeah, hands down, it's excellent. Yeah, I, I, but again, because I saw the trailer, I assumed he was bashing someone's head in. Like, that's how, <laughs> like, murderous he is in that scene, not bashing up a pool table. So, like, that, that's that's the impression that the trailer gives off. And, and so okay. he's... Um, just a testament to like how crazy he he goes in such a short space of time and how believable he is and you know i don't i don't have kids and i can see the pain that is in this man like when he's talking about like the like the 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 time he's lost (laughs) and the years of like his life that he's given away and um 
It's just <laughs> I, like it, it, it's made really be- like for a film that obviously wants to make you laugh and you're not meant to take seriously. It's actual messages are really, really like well done and actually really, really relevant and poignant. I think, I think the the fact that I do have kids, this is way more funny than it really should be. <laughs> you, you can kind of, you kind of get exactly what he means, <laughs> even though it's obviously pl- massively played up for the uh, for the film. But yeah, like you said, it's it's, it's there's more meaning than you expect. So Kendall agrees with Cage's rant at this point. They're both sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And at this point in the main storyline, Kendall hears the radio. And it appears that this disease, maybe, whatever you want to call it, is also transmitted over radio waves. She's ready to fuck shit up as well. She pulls up at her home and partners up with Cage trying to kill the offspring. The kids are still hiding in the basement. The annoying kid lets his mom know that they're down there. Shut up, you little fucker. <laughs> Carly should just send him out at this point. Just let him meet his maker. Fuck him. The kids refuse to come out, so the parents go apeshit trying to get to them. This is, again, this is another wonderful Nick Cage moment. So when I watch this film, this is the moment that I sent to you, pair in our WhatsApp group. Because I, you just needed to see that reaction. <laughs> and again, I'm going to splice it in because it's fucking great. Carly? Joshua? Can you hear me? Mom? Yes, it's Mommy. Mommy's here. Is your sister with you? Yeah, Mom, I'm here. Oh, thank God. Are you two all right? Mom? I stole the money from your purse. I'm so sorry. Riley, she just said she needed it and then her... It's okay, honey. I understand you must have had a very good reason. That's not what this is about. Now I want you to unbolt the door, and I want you and your brother to come out of that basement. Do you understand? No, Mom, we're not coming out, okay? You have to leave. You you need to leave the house, you and Dad. Your motherfucking mother should open the door. Motherfuckers! You're going to open this motherfucking door! The mom takes a saw to the door, but the boy has stolen Cage's gun and shoots his mom in the arm with it. Flashback to the boy stealing the fucking gun. And it wasn't even recently that he stole this gun. It wasn't, my parents are trying to kill me, I'm going to get that gun. He did it ages ago and just thought, oh, I'm keeping this gun now, it's mine. Fucking bananas. The parents then decide to try and gas the kids out. <laughs> the day turns into night. Eventually, the kids have cottoned on and they're, they're struggling to breathe. So they lay a trap. They put matches on the base of the door. So when the parents kick it in, boom, backdraft. And that's exactly what happens right in Cage and Kendall's face whilst the kids are tunnelling out. I don't get why the kids didn't run out of the house at this point. They sort of hung around. Mm. And then Kendall comes and she chases Carly around the house and corners her in the bedroom. But you'd think you've got your chance to escape. Just get out the nearest window, whatever you can to get away. That was a bit odd. Especially when Kendall knows that the parents, it's only the parents that want to kill them. Because she's seen that already. Yeah. It's not as if yeah. she knows that, it's not as if she thinks that 
all the adults in the world have gone mad. So why? So you, you, there's no point running away and going outdoors because they might hurt you as well. She knows that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. It was around this time that Damon starts to come to, and he's there to help stop Kendall from killing Carly, just in the nick of time. The boy appears again and says, Mom, stop, you'll hurt them. Like she hasn't spent the last fuck knows how long trying to kill them. And now this kid is moaning that she's trying to hit them with a coat hanger. Kendall then hits Damon with a mallet and he falls to his death, seemingly, again. Cage and Kendall corner the kids and just as they're about to finally do them in, the doorbell goes. The grandparents are coming for tea, aren't they? Cage gets to the door and he gets pepper sprayed and stabbed straight away. (laughs) (laughs) The annoying boy interjects once more. He tries to get his grandpa not to kill his dad. That's his dad who's tried to kill him for the last five or six hours. Annoying little fuck. Also, the granddad played by Lance Henriksen as well. Yeah, that's an excellent choice. Like, they do... I don't know if it's just like since he's got a little bit older, but they do sort of have a similar look. Yeah. Like if you if you said, "Oh, that's Cage's dad," I'd probably believe you. To be mm. honest. Yeah, he looks. He looks nothing like him in the Alien films whatsoever. So it it must be an age thing. Yeah. Cage manages to escape his dad's clutches and chases his son around the house. For some reason, he's barking. I don't know why he was doing that at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's running around. I, I don't know. What it was. It was a bit like. It kind of reminded me of Tom and Jerry. So you had the kids <laughs> running around. So he would be the dog. He'd be Jerry. Is Jerry the dog? No. Uh, is uh, Jerry the mouse? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the kid yeah. would be Jerry. Tom would be Nick Cage, and then Brutus the dog. Yeah, I think Brutus. it is would be Lance Henriksen. So maybe they were playing on that trope. I, I don't know. It was weird, but I was I was all for it. I thought it was excellent. And at the same time, in the kitchen. Kendall is fighting the mother-in-law. They scrap it out onto the lawn. Both of the grandparents get killed by Cage, who manages to get into his car and just mow them both down. It was an accident, but they're all dead. (laughs) This then leaves Carly, the boy, to fend for themselves against Kendall. And then Damon comes out of nowhere with a fucking shovel and just smashes around the face. The kids tie Kendall and Cage up in the basement. The kids tell the parents they love them. The parents reply, We love you more than anything in the world, but sometimes we just want to... Cut to credits. What a fucking film this was. Annoyingly, on IMDb, it only got a 5.5. Scandal. It is a scandal, that is. Yeah. The Metacritic was a 59 the Rotten Tomatoes fan score was 39%. Wow. But, thankfully, the Rotten Tomato critic score was 75%. At least someone recognises a good fucking film. Mm. What, like, I wonder what it, what their criticism, their main criticisms are, or why, you know, that's, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen a film like it. It wasn't like it was shot badly, you know, na- named actors in it. I, I, I can't see in any reasonable person not at least at least giving it kind of a five six out of ten. Do you know what I mean? Um, unless it is because of the crank thing, because of mm. the, that film took the piss so badly, 
and I, I remember that at the time a lot of a lot of critics absolutely bashed it, there, they? And yeah. It then the second one came along and it was even more ridiculous that they really didn't give a fuck what what they were doing. And as a big kind of two fingers up at them. Maybe that that's got something to do with it, maybe. Maybe. But that's got no reason for why the audience shouldn't like it because it's absolutely mental. Yeah. So when I looked at some of the reviews, there was a very snooty review from the Times. Shock. The, yeah, I know. The joke soon wears thin, however, and the film, with few actual ideas to express, resort to slapdash plotting dead-end gore. I don't know what film that Kevin Mayer saw, but it wasn't this one. That review is written by somebody who just purely doesn't understand the genre. That, that's all I can think of. Mm. Yeah, well, someone who goes to watch things like Little Women or whatever. And <laughs> Little Women, Little awesome. <laughs> but that's all that all the what period pieces and things about nonsense and like you said, snooty stuff. Yeah, people who don't. Take wrong. There's there's nothing wrong with having a preferred genre, but I feel that if you're going to be a critic, you can't say I don't like horror. So I'm immediately dismissing this, and that is very much what this felt yeah. like. I mean, a lot of it, I mean, just looking at it now, a lot of them don't get that it's a dark comedy. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's a big issue, really, isn't it? I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's not a horror film. It's a dark comedy, which is, it kind of, it owns it, owns it within minutes of the film starting, for fuck's sake. Yeah, it absolutely does. The Evening Standard said it's a hilarious, knowing bit of schlock. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. The Telegraph Independent, they gave it good reviews. Time Out said, a shrill as a banshee stepping on a Lego brick. <laughs> but here is a film with something to say. I love that. That's probably my favourite review of this film. That's mm. perfect. The budget was an estimated $7 million. Annoyingly, it only got two two hundred thousand dollars back, mm. which I can sort I can sort of see why, but it definitely deserves a hell of a lot more. But there we are. Um, so I'm I'm annoyed at that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me too. I know we we do we said it like half hour ago about the uh, VOD era and stuff like that, and what this is on Amazon to buy is it? It's not. I don't think it's on Netflix. I can't remember. Um, but it's not. I've never even heard of it. So no, that kind same. of, if they spend that much, then that's obviously just on salary of the very few stars that there was in the film, other than Cage. So it's more of a marketing thing because I've, I've told I mean Dean had seen it before we even watched it, so he he's one of the conversions. But mm. I've mentioned this to a few people. No one's even heard of it. Mm, same. No, not at all. So the good, the bad, and the crazy. Stu, start us off on this one, mate. Well, let's just say there is no bad whatsoever. <laughs> it's it's got everything you want. It's got crazy cage up to ten. From it's just you think Nicholas Cage and you think of the the stereotype or what you say it's not a stereotype or the caricature of himself. And that's exactly what he's playing in this. And it's unapologetic about that. That's exactly what this film is. And it's all the better for it because it's everyone's in on it. Everyone's 100% balls deep into the madness. And it's just, it's just class from start to finish. I mean, there's no, 
it just owns every scene. You've got the scene where they're doing the exam and you've got the, the parents looking through the window and looking through the doors and staring at them. And you think, what are, you, what are they doing this for? It's an exam. And then the, the one who finishes it and he goes out and he's ravaged. And it's very rare where you watch a film this ridiculous where you're still thinking about it a week later. And that's what this Absolutely. that's what this film did. I mean, I, I told everyone I possibly could think of who, who <laughs> and who wouldn't listen to this podcast and watch it anyway. Or so I mean, I mentioned it to a few people at work, and they said, "But why would you watch that? But why wouldn't you watch that? So just give it a chance. Just go and find it. And give it a chance because it's great." But yeah, I mean, this is even without being me and the, the Transformer stuff and whatever. This is a genuinely entertaining. Was it ninety minutes, hundred minutes, something like that? It's a entertaining piece of genius that's what it is and oh this has got every chance that when we do the review of the top five cage films of this series this is going to be in that top five no doubt whatsoever yeah i mean when we did it last time all of our fifth places was sort of like we haven't got enough films to fill the top five so this one will just do Mm -hmm. so yeah this is this will be troubling my top five uh, Matt, what's your good, bad, and crazy? So, the, so from the good point of view, um, oddly, uh, for someone who doesn't have kids, it was it was like the strength of the of the themes and the plot and the uh, and like the message it was trying to get across. I think actually did a really good job of it. You mm. know, I'm yeah. um, even now, like you know, with with like the nightclubs and, and and that being closed and the and the pubs for the most part being closed, think that the bet you know. I'm really missing that and time's running out on me about being able to self, <laughs> self-respectingly go to a nightclub. Do you know what I mean? And like this, this film just made me go, Oh man, like, like how, how quickly are we going to, are we going to age? And, and I think it's things are really, really well done for a film that was just ridiculously violent and, and, and filled with gore. I think it did like a, a really good job of, of getting themes across with the material that it had. Um, from, from the bad, my only niggle, I would have liked to have known more about what it was that was causing this. That that and that, that that's me nitpicking more than anything. You know, I I would have liked to have known if it was like a terrorist thing or like you know, or it was a disease or, or what it was this, what it was. That. I'd just like to have known a little bit more about it. But you know, I'm nitpicking for the sake of having a bad to, to say about it. Really, yeah. um, from the crazy point of view, they they did it a little bit, and I wish they'd have done more um, themed deaths now what i mean by that is yeah like hot fuzz has the people in the delicatessen that throws knives and throws like meat cleavers and stuff like that and it has like you know like people like how do i describe it you got the guy that goes destination yeah well like you got the guy that has the baseball bat that like the bloody baseball bat that he's dressed like he's like doing sports and they could have had a bit more fun with some of the deaths than it just being murderous like, I don't know. Like, like an office worker with a staple gun or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Like, it, 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 it could have been a little bit more black comedy in that area. Um, but again, it, it, it's just me nitpicking at it. But for, from an enjoyment point of view, you know, it was it was fantastic. And it, what what makes it even better is that there was zero expectations going in. I'd seen um, Face Off before. I'd seen The Rock before. I'd seen Con Air before. And the clue about this film, shouldn't have watched the trailer, but did. But my God, was I pleasantly surprised when I watched it. Absolutely. So my good, bad and crazy. Like the good is obviously 
everything. It's a marvellous fucking film. As you said, the themes are very good. And even if you don't have children, it is still a universal message of, you know, you, you do grow up and you look back at times when things might have been better for you and you always want you always want something that maybe you can't possibly have. You Well, you, you can't have it because you can't have your youth back. And I think that's a really good message that they, they're telling in this film. And it's delivered with such a thickly, darkly comic way. Like, every gag just fucking hits perfectly as well with it. The mad scene where he calls the kids motherfuckers for a start. Just, <laughs> it's just the right side of absurd that you'd love it. Mm. I think if it had been a little bit more, like, you couldn't imagine... Like, if we mentioned the, our latest podcast, which was the top five Will Ferrell films, you couldn't imagine someone like Will Ferrell doing it because it would just be a comedian doing comedy and it wouldn't work. It would be too broad. It would be too base. But with Nick Cage doing it, it hits just the right note and it's perfect. I really struggle to think of anything bad. Um, you probably are right. Maybe they could have done a little bit more to flesh the world out rather than just focusing on this one family. Maybe they could have just cut to other families and it's literally just showing that mom or dad killing their son or daughter. Yeah, yeah. Just, just throw a throwaway gag just set over there or, you know, maybe that. But as you say, it's nitpicking just because obviously that's the premise of it. Yeah, because I mean, you, you could have, they could have cut to, I don't know, could have cut to, say, London and someone being killed with a teacup or something like that. Play on stereotypes and make it even more yeah, absurd. Yeah. yeah, That would have just worked. Just have a gag with it. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, and the crazy... I mean, the director is obviously the crazy one. Like, he's the dude who did both of the Crank films. He did Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. He did Gamer, and he did Happy, as I've mentioned. Like, he's a balls-to-the-wall nut job. So he's the crazy one in this, and it's a good crazy in this case. So the question arises, did you enjoy this film? I mean, I can tell you who enjoyed this film. Nicolas Cage enjoyed it. He said it is his favourite film of the ten year period of the previous ten year period. Really? And bar kick ass, it's hard to argue with the outcome of, of any of these films because everything else he did in that period from um oh seven to two thousand and seven, he did kick ass and then he just did dirge. Like he did I need to pay the bills kind of films. So you can see this is the one that he had the most fun on and you can see it's the most fun that's come out of it. And for that reason, that's why I enjoyed it, because you can tell that they're enjoying it on screen. Like, it's proper, unadult, unadulterated genre film madness. It's great. It's like an episode of Black Mirror or The Twilight Zone, but yeah. turned up to 11. It's definitely my kind of thing. Five fucking stars. It's wonderful. I think if you're a fan of B-movies, this has to be in your collection. Uh, Stu? I don't... Well... If you're a fan of movies in general, just just go and watch this film. It's just, it knows what it is. That's the main thing about it. It knows what it is, and it loves it. And that's why I love it as well. It is, it's five stars, absolutely. No question whatsoever, five stars. Hmm. No question. Matt? Yeah, I, I, not much more I can say to how much I, to how much I enjoyed the film, really. Like, I immediately, I mean, this is the measure of it, isn't it? I immediately got on my phone and started texting people to tell them to go watch it. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. I mean? <laughs> Say no more. Cut. Next bit. 
So based on this film and this film alone, is he good or is he bad? Stu. I mean, he's he's getting like ninety eight percent with this. It's it's even it's <laughs> it's off almost almost off the scale. Good. It's unbelievable because you no one else could have done this. No one else could have played that role in this film like he did in this. Absolutely brilliant. Top class. Matt? Well, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> all I can think about is, you know, the um, Halloween, the Treehouse of Horror episode where the Simpsons do The Shining, and I'll have to ask Andy this, um, and basically yeah. <laughs> it, it, uh, Homer goes, mm, give me the bat Marge, give me the bat Marge, and he, like, he goes like proper crazy. <laughs> he's channel like, I feel like Nick Cage is channeling like Homer Simpson gone mad in this. Like, he's just Absolutely, brilliant. Absolutely, yeah. He's... Um, he does it really, really well. And Stu, you're, you're absolutely right. Nobody could have done this the way that he did it. And not only for how wild he goes, but actually the um, pre pre the madness, he was entertaining. He was funny. He was genuine. He you genuinely believe that he um, rude the day that he ever had kids. And <laughs> like with not a lot of to do. Um, in terms of like time and everything else, yeah, he, he builds this character, you know, really, really well. I think it was excellent. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say he's good because he was great. Like this was a masterful performance from Nick Cage. This is—it's hard to. I mean, the man's got a fucking Oscar, and this is still <laughs> one of the best performances I have seen from him. It is superb. It is full-on Nick Cage. It is exactly what you want from a film of his, especially in this period. What, the what? sledgehammer to the pool table scene, brilliant. The motherfucker scene, excellent. I properly love this performance. What was his Oscar for? Leaving Las Vegas. And he was Oscar-nominated for Adaptation, which is also very good. I can't wait to get to those, which I think we're doing next February or March because that will be Oscar season. Of course, we are. yeah, they're two very good films. Yes, I've planned that far ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so that's us done for this week. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Please go and watch Mom and Dad. I cannot stress this enough. It's fucking wonderful. And make sure you follow us on the Twitter at Cage Fighting Pod. Drop us an email to cagefightingpod at gmail.com. If you'd like to send us your top five Will Ferrell films, please do so, because we'll read them out on our next pod next week. So, for this week, Matthew, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Stay safe. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Goodbye, motherfuckers! (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. And remember, this Halloween, you better pay the ghost. Are we ready to roll? Let's rock and all roll. Willkommen to... Oh, no. <laughs> I completely fucking stumbled. <laughs> Maybe I should just do it in my Dudley accent. <laughs> this is staying in anyway, so it might as well. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>